Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact. You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of After Work Drinks With. We are very excited this week to bring you an interview with Gina Martin, who's an incredible activist that we have followed for ages, and we are super stoked to have her. So Gina is an author. Um, She's written a book about what she's most famous for, which is making upskirting illegal in the UK after an incident at a music festival prompted her to get into politics Um, basically so that no other woman would be told that there was nothing police could do about it. So we chat to Gina about the online abuse and threats she receives daily um, due to being a young woman in the public eye, what to do when anger starts to consume you, and about what it was like having imposter syndrome when she walked into Parliament. As always, please rate, review and subscribe, and we will see you next week. See you next week. Welcome to the podcast. We are so, so excited to have you. Thank you. We wanted to start by talking about um, some of the work that you're most famous for and the kind of inciting incident for that was a terrible thing that happened to you at a music festival. Um, If you don't mind, would you mind just talking about that incident, what happened afterwards and like the whole movement? Yeah, so that was July 2017, which now seems like a very long time ago. and I was at a British Summertime Festival in Hyde Park in London, which is a big family festival, day festival. And I hadn't seen my sister for like a year because I've been living in Greece for a year, working on boats in Greece. So I came back and we hadn't seen each other forever. And I was so broke and I paid like £85 for a day ticket. And we went to this festival and we were in this crowd of about 60,000 people waiting for the killers to come on stage. And it was like broad daylight. And um, these guys were like around around us like a group of guys like eight to ten guys and they started sort of making jokes I say hitting on whenever I tell the story but I don't know if they were necessarily hitting on us they were I guess they were they were trying to get our attention you know when you're talking and then everything you say they make a joke and you're like I don't even know who you are can you just leave me alone um and I said that and then it went back and forth and then he made a really gross joke and I said something cutting back to him and then a couple of minutes later um 
I didn't know, but he took, he had a skirt on and he brought his iPhone, his hands between my legs and took photos of my crotch without me knowing. And I saw there was a blonde guy in front of me, big guy, and I looked around his back because I could sort of tell they were all laughing a couple minutes after that. I didn't know what at, but I thought maybe something to do with me. You know, you can feel that sometimes. And I looked behind, I looked around the back of the guy that was in front of me and he was on his phone and he had, and he was like looking at the picture, upskirt photo he'd been sent on WhatsApp and it was like a really well taken photo, like right between someone's legs. He's like standing like with their feet apart, just standing like normal stance. And I was like, oh, that's, that's me. Like, I know that's me straight away. And I, cause he was obviously standing in front of me. I was behind him looking so he couldn't see me. So I grabbed the phone and like held it up and started shouting about it. And then he like kicked off and we got into like a scuffle and I slapped him and he was like grabbing me trying to get the phone back. And then all these people in the crowd around me sort of noticed. And cause it was, we, I was screaming to be honest. So fair enough. And then they sort of pushed him away and helped me run off. And I ran through the crowd with the phone and he chased me and I got to the police. If you hear tiny scraping noises, that's my pet tortoise. And I'm really sorry. Oh my god! Okay, best um, interjection ever. Yeah, in that story, what the hell? <laughs> um, and yeah, he chased me, and I got to the security just before he did, and I handed the phone in. And I remember in that moment being like, because a lot of these things have happened, right? Like probably for you too, where some guy shouted something or grabbed you or smacked your ass, or you've been made to feel intimidated or unsafe or whatever, and you've never done the thing you wish you would have done. Like I used to lie in bed and be like, God, I wish I'd said that, or I wish I'd told someone or whatever. And I remember thinking, oh my God, I've nailed this. Like I've got the phone, the picture, the guy, everything. And what can they, what can he, what can he do? Like I've got him, you know, and the police just said, oh, I've looked at the photo. It shows more than you'd want to show. It's really unfair, but there's nothing we can do about it. And they sort of just, kept, they just ushered us all off. I don't think they even kicked the guys out. And then I went home the next day. I was obviously really upset for the rest of the festival, missed the whole gig. And then went home the next day and they called me and said, oh, the case is closed. Not doing anything about it and put the phone down. And then I was like, I don't know, just, I got so angry. Like I, I, something snapped, I think. I think I was so bored of, do, of doing, feeling like I'm not doing the right thing and then finally doing the right thing and then being told nothing's going to be done. I was just like, why? What if I was a kid and that happened? What would you do about it then? That seems so, so insane. Yeah, really, it's crazy. And then, yeah, I looked into the law and I found out that upskirting wasn't a sexual offence in England and Wales but had been in Scotland for 10 years and various other countries around the world parts of Australia parts of the US and I was finding it really hard to understand the language because I'm not an academic person and law is jargon to me and I got a law student friend to help me figure out the law and she was like yeah you're correct and I launched a social media campaign to ask why and then that got quite big because I was working in social media at the time for brands so I know how to use it I just did the same thing with the brand but for a course and then that got quite big and then I got a lawyer and then I launched a legal case against the government and that went for two years and I worked with the government for two years on two different bills. Um, and we changed the law in April, 2019. Um, and now upskirting is a sexual offence and you can prosecute it in any scenario in England and Wales. And that's probably what I'm most well known for. That's so amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, I love how you kind of gloss over, you're just like, just started a viral yeah, social media like, campaign. Yeah, yeah it's it took so long it's just like finally we made it legal yeah and I saw you say once that kind of when you were discussing what happened and that day at the festival that often conversation would come back to either what you're wearing or you'd find yourself um explaining why you're wearing a skirt and you'd be like oh you know the weather was hot and that's why I was in a skirt instead of talking about what 
happened in terms of what the guy did. Um, yeah. And victim blaming is like just such a massive thing in society still, which we saw hugely with the Grace Mullane case, which happened in New Zealand. Um, I don't know. What do you think we can do to kind of try and change the narrative there? It's a really hard one because it's so prevalent. It's like the number one response I would get online through two years of that work. And and like you say, like I internalized that myself and I felt the need to excuse what I was wearing 35 degree day. I was wearing a skirt. Like, I don't know why I, I still probably do that. Um, with all these things, I feel like I get exasperated because I feel like we talk about gender equality and you know, we, us three can sit here for like an hour and try and figure out like, how do we stop victim blaming? What do we do? But it's like, until the, there are people from the community who are perpetrating that until, until guys sit down and start learning about what misogyny is, where it comes from in the same way that we ask white people to sit down and try and unearth some of their biases that have happened. Like we're asking right now with everything going on in America until guys start to think about that and solve that and start to call each other out on stuff. And, you know, when their mate makes a comment and sexualizes someone who's just trying to walk past and go to the shop until that they start to get involved. Like, I don't necessarily think it's always women's and marginalized gender's jobs to unpick gender equality. Like I'm, I think I'm bored of us seeing it as our job to figure out all these parts of something that was built against us that we never really wanted to be part of in the first place. And so I try to have a lot of conversations with my guy mates and I do and lots of the guy, guys that follow me and stuff because if that, if that was a part of the movement, if guys were really, and there are guys that are, but there's not enough. And if they were really getting involved and trying to figure that out, you'd see a shift in the conversation and the culture, I think, in certain places far quicker than you would us saying, please stop victim blaming. Um, so I really am holding out for that. We keep, we talk about this a lot in the podcast because like we had such a long spell where we talked obviously around like the 2017 onwards time exclusively about women's issues and misogyny and all of those questions. And then we just kind of hit a point where we're like, our audience is 99% female. Everyone who's yeah. listening knows this shit already. We're just exactly. kind of circulating what everyone's already aware of and is already doing their very best in their life to deal with anyway. It's, it's hard. It's really hard. Um, so you said before you obviously made upskirting illegal in the UK. Obviously, there would have been a lot of paperwork and messiness there, but you actually went into Parliament, which, as we know, is uh, a hugely male-skewed and white-skewed area. Can you just mm. unpack the thing of feeling um, perhaps intimidated as a young woman in that space versus also being white and having privilege in a space where white is accepted? What was yeah. that like? 100% yeah it was very strange because I think going in at the beginning my focus was on I'm not very acad- academic I don't I'm a very very working class I'm actually from Liverpool I was great by in school I've never been in spaces like that I've never you know I was at a very regular state school like I've, I've just never been in spaces like that it's just, that's alien to me and so going in there was very intimidating for me and I was focusing on that quite a lot. I was focusing on the the parts of which I felt really didn't belong there because they were the most obvious, right? Like you walk into the lobby to go in and they do this big procession with the gold mace and you're not allowed to look at anyone. It's like being in Hogwarts on acid, but it's like everyone's... This guy walked past me and Ryan, my lawyer, and went, 
oh, it reminds me of school. I was like, where did you go to school? Like, oh I, I don't understand what, <laughs> that's not my experience. So it was like a crazy environment and all the language is, is different and confusing. And, and especially if you go into that with no law background or political background. So I was really focusing on that, I think. And I was really nervous because I was really intimidated by everyone. And also they don't particularly want to open up a precedent where working class people or anyone really that is not trained or um, a politician MP, not a civil servant, to be able to go in there and just start changing laws. Like if that was a precedent, they'd have a really tough time of it. So you're not made to feel welcome in there. Um, And so I was focusing on that for a long time. And then it was only really as I got to the end, because changing the law is obviously a very long process. And the April 2019 law change, which we talk of as the day it kind of came into action or the period of time it came into action, that was a year. So the the final bill that actually changed the law we tabled in August or July, July, 2018. Yeah. July, 2018. And so that was a year of seeing that bill through knowing it was going to go, it was going to change the law, but just going through the process. So it takes a very long time. And during that kind of yearly process, that year long process of that last bill was where I sort of could relax a little bit because I wasn't fighting the government to change it. We'd already got the bill through and they'd committed that they were going to do it. So during that time I reflected quite a lot on, how I felt in there. And it was only really then that I started to realize because I was getting into the active activism community and like the campaigners community and I was meet, meeting lots of different campaigners. I realized it was so much easier for me to go in there, like able-bodied and go to these meetings and do these presentations. It was so much easier for me to go in there and talk about how this bill had to be gender neutral and protect everyone far easier than it would have been for my friend Jamie who's non-binary it was far easier for me to go in there as a white girl than it would have been if I was a black woman from below the poverty line fighting for my rights like there was so much there was bits stacked against me that made it hard but there was so much more in my favor like when I walked in there as a white person they were they were expecting to see me you know because the whole place is white and I could I could like we all do in these situations I could speak slightly different like I did yeah absolutely 100% like I did that when I was in there and I made myself like animals make themselves bigger you know (laughs) like I was like yeah I'm fine I'm meant to be here and I can do that but you can't do that if you are marginalized with layers and layers of marginalization you can't change your identity and if people are making it difficult for you and won't accept you in that space I don't know how activists are so I mean activists are incredibly resilient but I didn't have to have the same resilience a lot of my friends do when they walk in there so I I don't think I realized that privilege until a a little bit later on but it helped me massively and it helped me not only in parliament but it helped me so much in the media as well like there is no way that those words that surrounded the photos of the press that because every piece of press we organized to like show up at this time in this in this newspaper because these people read this and the spectator should post this on june when the bill's gonna you know it's all that stuff and then but there's no way that the write-ups around my pictures would have been as supportive if i was less palatable quote unquote by society you know i was a white thin girl in a pink suit because i dress like a child tv character and and people are expecting to see me in newspapers and magazines. But if I wasn't that person, I don't even know if the media support would have been the same. So my, my white privilege and all my, all my privileges played heavily into how supported I was and how um, accepted I was in Parliament too, for sure. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Um, I yeah. loved the post that you wrote a while ago on Instagram sort of saying why it's important um, 
for people to say why they're not political. So instead of just kind of saying, I'm, I'm not into politics, you say why, like whether it's that you don't understand what's going on or whether you feel misrepresented or whether um, you're confused or whatever it is. Um, and that like you touched on before, people are made to believe that they can't be political because it's kind of easier for them if you think you can't. Yeah, way easier because everything just continues as the way it is. It's very, com- it's just such a complex industry. And and I spent a long time when I was younger, shamefully being like, my dad asked me, I think it was my dad or someone asked me, I remember when I was like 15 and I, they were like, what was the th- what's the thing you would never go into and never do? And I was like, politics. Like I hate it, which is hilarious. I hate it and I don't understand it. It's stupid. It doesn't even matter. It's like a load of bullshit. It's like what a privileged ignorant thing to say you know and it's very but I understand why I said it because I was made we're all made to feel like it's very complex when it's made complex specifically it's gatekept so we don't really understand it like all of that's put in place but yeah I think being honest about why you don't feel political or why you don't see politics as part of your life is really important because we all see politics as like capital P Westminster Boris or like Jacinda or you know like we see it as these people in these rooms and it's not that it's you know why a journalist is censored when she's writing about something it's why a woman can't get healthcare for a certain thing it's why um you know a trans person's life is politicized just because of who they are it's capital uh, lowercase p politics is part of all of our lives and once you start to re- that it's easier to go oh yeah no I am into politics because I'm not I might not understand the minutiae of Westminster right now or yet but I understand that politics is in every single part of our lives whether we want it to be or not yeah and understanding the policies that you don't like and then or the things you don't like in society and then figuring out where that actually comes from yeah because the policy like policies and stuff everyone's like oh policies what does that mean but it's like if you know basic morals and values figure those out what do you care about? Basic things. And then all p- politics is, is fitting those into a system, you know, that's shout, you know, uh, fights for a certain thing or doesn't fight for this thing or whatever. So if you can figure out what your morals and values are, then, okay, party politics is a whole game. It's really a game that plays with a lot of different stuff and it's not fun. But if you got, you've got those down, if you understand what you really care about, then you can start, start to figure out the people you might support because they seem to care more about these things. Just breaking it down, isn't it really, I guess? It's something we wanted to talk about because I think people, especially of our generation, are very cynical about politicians. Mm. And I'm wondering if you were, actually, I think you may have talked about this before, but if you were pleasantly surprised by some of the politicians that you encountered and the way that they actually did go above and beyond to try and help you, was that something that happened? Yeah, there was people in there that I never, like I always say that, I I think I'm, I never talk about who I'd vote for necessarily, but I think it's probably very clear who I vote for. <laughs> um, but I, there was people in Conservative that were really helpful. And there was people in Labour who really did me over one. <laughs> so there was people from every party um, that, you know, every. I think when you look at politics from the outside and that is no one's fault but I guess politics's fault that we don't it's not transparent and we don't feel like we know these people at all I think when you look at it from the outside you get an assumption that in one party everyone feels like this about this thing and that's not true there's a million reasons why people go to into a party um, and it's not just what's the manifesto what what do they believe in it's based on uh, their family and their history and the job they did all these different things so there are people in every party that 
you know, are, are, will fight for women's rights and the Conservatives, and lo lots of them did, and tried to convince Chope for three days not to object to the bill, desperately pulling him aside. And, you know, there are people who did that. And there was all the people from parties I vote for who weren't very supportive. But that's people, you know, our structures are made up of people who are complex and full of opinions and multitudes. And I didn't realize that until I went to politics. But I think regardless of that fact, you still have to go for the 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 um the team that is closest fighting for what you're asking for um but i was surprised i guess i was just surprised by how to be completely honest with you i was just surprised by how like everywhere else it is so going in you th i thought i'd go in and be like wow everyone's got their lives together so much wow they're running the world but you go in you're like oh yeah it's just like any other job like everyone's running around stressed they're trying their best there's loads going on they don't know what's going on with this they're trying to do this you know it's exactly the same as any other job it just looks the building's a lot cooler it's like when you realize that um your mum is actually a person yes oh my god it was literally like that yes it was literally like that so funny um i can imagine while you were campaigning um it probably started consuming your life in terms of just mm. being on all the time and even activism as a whole um is kind of all encompassing if you let it be and with everything going on in yeah. the world right now kind of how how did you manage to switch off or how did you cope during that time and have you found more balance now with activism do you know what? I would never um, say that I coped very well. I, I like, I think it's really, I think people would see it. You know, you see like, the, I, I was like in a red suit, like I changed the law. Like it's great, ideal, because that's how newspapers want the, want the thing to be. And that's, yeah, I did. And that was great. But it was really hard and I didn't cope with it very well at all. And I was working full time the entire time I was doing it because I didn't have any money to be able to do it. So I was getting up at 5am and doing it and then going into work and then like crying at work and I remember doing a presentation to my creative director because I was working in an advertising agency which well I guess creative studio more they'd call themselves and um I was doing um presenting something to my director Tobias who's this great guy still really good friends now and I remember just there was something happening with the campaign outside and Ryan was like, we need to get on this. Like there's something happening now. Like we need to pivot. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, on what's like, yeah, okay. But I couldn't leave. So I was like presenting this idea, but I was just fully crying. I was like, and then the copy will be like, and then, and then, and to was like, are you okay? And I was like, mm, yeah, I'm fine. I'm, the campaign's ruined and I can't leave and he was like do you want to do this later I was like yes please like it was just like that all the time I was just crying at work all the time and like leaving at lunchtime running away like my boss would be like you can take a little extra lunch and then I'd have to run away and I'd get stuck somewhere and I wouldn't be back till half two and I could tell they were angry at me and I was hot trying to hold down my job because I could not run a campaign without the money like there was no way to do it so I didn't handle it very well but I really lent on the people around me which I'm proud of doing like I have I'm most one of the things I'm most proud of is I've created such a I think from my family growing up I'm so such a close family but I've created such a like heavy like devoted group of friends it, from different groups but just there isn't anyone really around me that I would sit down for a while and have a glass of wine and cry about the same thing for three hours who wouldn't just be like there 
and not give a shit that I've been talking about the same thing for three hours. Like they're just, there's no one who makes me feel slightly bad about myself. There's no one that doesn't really show up for me. I have a very small group of friends for that reason. There has been people who have been deactivated from the friendship group. Um, but just like very lucky to have that like safety net. And I lent on that. I lent on Geordie, my partner, so heavily during that period of time. And he really like pulled me out of the bath and cuddled me and, you know, put me to bed and made me nap and just all those things. And I think often with on like narrative of um, feminism and stuff, often we can be like, we didn't have it all, right? So we're like, you can have it all, like you can work in the job and you can fight for your rights and you can, yeah, you can, but it's knackering. And like, you can't actually do that all on your own. Like much for one person to do and it's okay, and it's not only okay, but it's important that you recognize that because you won't be able to keep going. So it was like a lot of people holding me together at that point, I think. Something that would have made that even more difficult was the fact that you were getting uh, intimidation online, threats online, general horrible sexist backlash. And you've written really amazingly about how this just creates a culture where women are encouraged to be silent and not speak out. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you coped with that. Yeah, that was really hard. I think um, because I'd worked, weirdly, because I'd worked in social media and I had friends who were influencers at that point or like, well, they weren't really friends, but like acquaintances. I, I thought I understood how that would feel in a way. I was like, wow, the pressure must be really hard. But until, I think until you're getting trolling and abuse like that, it's very, it's a very un, hard to understand. And it meant that like every time I'd try and get my phone to talk to my dad, they'd be like, rape threats from guys I don't know and like that's just scary you'd never know that that's not going to turn into a real thing because you're saying I'm gonna be on BBC tonight at 6pm so they go right she's a BBC you know like you're scared of it's really scary stuff so that did for a period of time I think that did make me want to do less um media and like less outwardly obvious stuff about the campaign but then I realized I didn't really have a choice because every single time I would talk about the campaign hook was obviously that someone who had been through it was trying to change the law and that's what the press liked. And I had to get the public angry because that's the only way it changed. When Chope objected to our bill, that's the only way it changed was because the press, the public got so angry about it. So I had to keep pushing very and being very visible. And for a while I didn't want to be that because I was scared. Um, not really honestly sure what the answer is to that. I mean, I, I know that I went through three stages with it where I first would reply to people I would never reply to like rape threats because I, I no, just no. Like, there's never an excuse for any of that. But I replied to people who were trying. I got a lot of people who just wanted to engage me and sorry, my tortoise. I had people who just engage me in like debate about like, but really, like, is it that important for you to change like an upskirting law? Like, isn't that just something we deal with every day? Like, lots of women as well, which was really disappointing and upsetting. The older women were like, we fought for fundamentals. You're fighting for like something that isn't even a big deal and like I would try and debate these people and then I started doing it when I was drunk which was the worst thing you could I do that do. like wait oh my god it's the worst I was like waking up with like 30 messages to like Linda in Rotherham and she's screaming at me and I'm like I have no I don't even remember doing that like and it's like that whataboutism we found so much yes. recently where I was like fighting with someone on Instagram the other day which is a new experience for me and someone said something like why are people focusing on this and not the Iraq war? I was like, what? Yeah, I, <laughs> I was know. Like, that is such a random thing to pivot it to. Like both things can be disgusting. This is just the thing that's currently happening. But I feel like yeah. you see a lot of people just pivoting it towards a random discussion that really at its core is just about deflecting because they don't really yeah. want to engage with it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The whataboutism is really, 
like annoying because that you're you're open to so many people online everyone cares about something but if you, like i always say like Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless ready to get 30 30 ready to get 30 ready to get 20 20 20 ready to get 20 20 ready to get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month so give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees promo rate for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. My lane is this, like I talk about these things. It doesn't mean I don't care about other things, but I am one person. I can't talk about everything. And I shouldn't talk about everything because I don't know. I'm not an authority on all those things at all. I'm an authority on this thing, just about. So I'll talk about this thing, you know. I don't want to speak on everything and I shouldn't be speaking on everything. Yeah, we're trying hard at the moment, like as we learn more about everything we talk about on the podcast, but basically we, we're trying to learn more about important things and use our platform to speak out about things. But it is, it is just like a process of everyone of your learning at the same time. And then you have yeah. other people messaging you things. And then we're like, we try hard to kind of, I said this to Grace today that the more you speak out about important things, the more polarizing you're going to be and the more people you're going to upset and the more people aren't going to be on the same side as you and it is hard for both of us because we both have anxiety and we both are people pleasers and want people to like us but as this podcast grows and as we kind of take a stance on things that matter to us it's just going to be so much harder to keep everyone happy yeah I think like as a basic rule as well like you're opening yourself up to lots of people and I don't think that's a normal thing like our literally physiologically like our brains haven't under evolved to understand understand that like my my brain is open to like answering seventy five thousand people's questions every day and people being angry at me all the time for say for talking about certain things and other things whatever my brain doesn't really know how to deal with that like none of our brains do and you just have to be a kind to yourself and be with your platform whether it's podcast or whether it's activism what I'm doing if you're always open to listening and learning from people like you're not always going to get it right but if you're always open to listening and learning and like okay, I'm always ready to try and expand if I don't understand this well enough, or if I, then you'll be fine. You have to, if, if you can honestly say that, you'll be fine. But it's just if you're, if you're, I guess, um, stubborn, like, oh no, I, I don't want to, I don't want to listen. I don't want to talk about that. Or, you know, this, that really makes me annoyed. Well, people just care about things and that's fine, but they can ask you and you can say, well, no, I don't, I only know this stuff and I'm only want to talk about this stuff and I'm doing my best. I'm learning in real time as I do this. So I'm always open to feedback, but I, I always say that I always say I'm always open to feedback, but if it's respectful, like if that's the word, if it's not respectful, I'm like, bye, which is, I think is fine. <laughs> I know it's such a hard one with like, um, managing, I don't know, people's expectations of you. Cause I even saw, I yeah. think, was it, I'm pretty sure it was you or it was someone in your realm who said, 
you get DMs about people kind of asking why you haven't spoken up about one thing but not the other and you're just like, I'm literally one person and I think people just forget about that. Like you can only go so far in, in what you yeah, do in yeah. one day. I had a very nice DM the other day, which was the, probably the first time this has ever happened. Actually, I had two recently, which is rare because at the beginning of the coronavirus tragedy, everyone was at home and they had a lot of time on their hands and they had a lot of anger and they had a lot of feelings about everything that was happening, which is completely understandable. But a lot of that came into my inbox and I'm sure a lot of my friends and a lot of my marginalized friends and a lot of people who talk about um, societal issues, their DMs got lit up at the beginning of this period. And I turned off my messages because along with not knowing what was going on, like none of us did, and just sitting at home being like, what is happening? I don't know how to process this. I, then I, I shouldn't be then messaging people back and being like, oh, yeah, no, you should do this or you should feel like this. Or no, this is the problem. I don't know. I'm doing, I'm doing exactly the same thing as you. And this woman messaged me, giving me some flack for something. And I said, I, you know, some days I go, well, actually, I'm like trying really hard and blah, blah. And then sometimes I go, um, well, thanks for your thoughts. And I'll keep those in mind and have a great day. I'm just like really nice. Yeah, it really day, depends like, on really the mood. trying. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it really does. Depends on the day. And that day I was like, I'm really trying. Um, I'm and, and to be fair, like her, her feedback wasn't like, it wasn't valuable. It wasn't fair. She was angry about the world and she was angry. She wanted to be angry at someone and that's fine. And I was like, I'm really trying. And then there was like two or three messages back and forth. And then she... There was a big silence for about an hour. And then she messaged me saying, hi, I realized that I messaged you because I was angry about ABC and I don't, I've realized I don't really see influencers like as like 3D people. Like I'm not like you were just a person in your house and like it would be weird to get a message like that from someone you don't know. And I was like, thank you. That's really cool of you to say that because it is weird to get 300 messages a day from people I don't know being like, Gina, you should do this more. I'm like, I've never met you. Like, so I thought that was really cool of her to do that. And it rarely happens like to have a discourse like that where people go, I fucked up there. Sorry. Like, I, I, I really apologize. I won't be doing that again. And it means that as they go forward, they probably won't do that with other people too, which is a lot of what I think my job is, is like a test bunny. Like people will message me, we'll have a back and forth, they'll realize something. And then they probably won't do that to another person. And that feels like a good thing. Mm. So yeah, it's a bit strange, but we're all learning. I think at the end of the day, none of us really know how to use these platforms really yet. Yeah. I actually saw you post um, after Caroline Flack's death. We did a big segment on that and I saw you post kind of asking people to be more radically kind and it's something me and Grace have been trying to do well we didn't actually even tell each other that we were doing it but we'd been secretly messaging people kind things and then one day we just blurted it out I was like I feel like that just needs to be a thing that people like literally if you're going to send a mean message to someone you need to be sending kind messages to people every time you appreciate them yeah I just don't understand the I think we need to get to because our platforms, like I said, they're so new and we're still navigating them. We don't really know how to do it. And I think we have to get to a place where, and this won't happen for everyone because there's always people who are going to be hurting or angry or want to say stuff. But even for me, like I found tweets like from my 19th birthday where I was like, Cara Delevingne spent 30,000 grand on a bottle of champagne. What an asshole. Like, it's like, oh my God, you're just angry that you're not Cara Delevingne. Like, calm down. So, like I've had to get to a place and I have in the last five years, like I'm 28. So like, it's probably an age thing too, but in my early twenties, like I would just go off on like, say stuff about people on Twitter, like 
but and famous people yeah but then probably if I was that old and influencers were as big as they are now I'd probably be doing the same thing there and it's like I what I've realized is that I think a lot of people see these platforms especially social media and they go well it's open it's public so it's mine so I can say what I want with it where actually you're coming into someone's space like when you go into someone's profile and they're putting all these free resources out every day for people especially if they're trying to talk about important stuff and it's quite a lot of effort to do that they're doing all this free work they're putting so much effort in they're really trying to help people especially in what I do and then you come in and you give them a, a hard time for something that isn't warranted isn't like hey you post this thing all your pictures are I don't know there's no diversity in your in your feed or you're not talking about you know uh, you've said something objectively uh, I don't know problematic not that but something without really any basis it's like you don't have to come here and follow me you don't have and if you feel if you feel annoyed you also don't have to tell me because you I'm putting content out and anyone can see it and it's not going to be for anyone. And that's absolutely fine. But we're worried about people unfollowing us. We're worried about people not liking us. But the truth is, is that we just have to realize that a lot of people aren't going to. And if they have something to say, well, that's fine. But you don't need to tell me that. I don't walk down the street and go, that dress isn't as good on you as the other dress I saw you in. Like, what? I would never do that ever. Like, they don't need to hear my opinion. But we just need to do the same thing we do offline, I guess, online. But we just can't for some reason. And there's this, like cognitive dissonance I think where we've really noticed that we get like the nicest messages privately and then the negative messages are always posted publicly and I think there's also this thing of like of like people when they are angry about something are going to be much more vocal than the 95% of people who love what you're doing but just aren't inspired to say something about it and that's something that we found with Caroline Flack and we talked about in an episode at the time where we said like that just would have felt like everyone hated oh, her and then yeah. after she died you realize no 95% of people love you and think all these amazing things about you but they just don't talk at the time when it needs to be said and it's kind of this strange thing where that's why we started randomly DMing celebrities because we thought people aren't thinking like no I love this person they just think I love this person and follow them and that's it and never say yeah it. that's like you kind of need to um verbalize that sometimes because the negative is getting really um outshone that's so true like it's a given that you support someone but you'll never say it but then if there's a problem it's like you'll always send a bad review to a restaurant but you'll never be like this place is great and consistent thank you (laughs) i've never written a good review (laughs) so strange it's really really strange i'm glad you're doing that because i did that a couple of times to like a celebrity a couple of celebrities were like having a hard time i mentioned being like you're really cool and like i really like your you won't see (laughs) this messages come out everyone's gonna be like okay you you saddo why are you messaging like Anne marie telling her she's cool (laughs) oh well one day so we saw you posted something over christmas about being harassed in a bar one night and the Mm. fact that uh the men didn't stop when they were asked by you and your friends but when other men stepped in they did stop um can you talk about i guess just the anger which is something me and izzy have talked about a lot of dealing with that fact basically dealing with the fact that you're just simply not listened to and I guess just coping with that feeling so you're just not constantly angry and upset all the time because that's not yeah. healthy for you, you know? No, of course. That was a mat. That was the most bonkers night. I don't really know what happened. It was like it was a full moon and like it was Christmas and we were at a members bar and maybe we shouldn't have gone to a members bar, but we actually 
thought if we went to a members bar, there'd be less of it because there's less people there. No, more wankers um, though, right? Oh my God. Yeah. More Coke, let's be honest. <laughs> um, but yeah, there were just, it was like one guy and then a second guy and then two guys step came and sat next to us to, to sit and stare to annoy us. And then this guy sat on my sister and it just went on and on. And then we left because it was so bad. And then in the street, this guy literally just screamed at us. He was like, what are you doing tonight, ladies? We were like, nothing, like, leave us alone. He was like, it's okay, I'm gay. And I was like, oh my God. Like, they're, they're so good. Like, weaponize your, like, homophobia to, like, hit on women and pretend you're gay. Like, what is going on? And it ended up with my sister being filmed in the street by this guy who's screaming at her and telling her she's, like, a posh bitch. I was like, and it was, like you say, it was that we, we'd, we'd gone for three hours telling people to leave us alone. And yes, this guy on the street I hadn't heard, but it doesn't matter. Like we'd said it so many times and it was like a dream, you know, you're screaming like no one can hear you. You're like, I don't know how many times I, I don't know how to make this stop. And then this guy came over and said, mate, leave them alone. What are you doing? And he basically like helped, handled him a bit. And this guy walked off and I said to him, I said, what's your name? And um, I can't remember it. I think it was like Harry. I was quite drunk at the time, guys. Don't um, make it Harry. That's my favorite name. Okay, I think it was Harry. We'll just say it was because he's obviously cute. Because yeah, he's name. the helpful one. Oh, the helpful yeah. one. Oh, yeah. Okay, sorry. I thought you meant the other one. I was like, <laughs> Gina, stop. Oh no. And so he was like, Oh no, it's fine. It's fine. And I was like, No, it's you don't realize that we've been trying to get that to stop for three hours all night, and you think it's a small thing to come over and do that, but it's actually not because that has ruined our entire night. And he only listened when you said it. They, he, he, he won't listen to girls, he'll listen to you. And he was like, oh, that's so bad. Like, blah, blah, blah. And he realized what I was saying in that moment. I gave him a hug and then he, we, he left. And there was such a big part of me on the way home in the taxi. It was like, I need to like, get all the anger out because you're not listened to and then you're so, so full of anger and you're like, no. So I got in the taxi and I wrote this post out. My sister wrote one. And I'd put it on Instagram. It's like, that's often what Instagram is to me. It's the only place where I can really get my real feelings out about stuff. Because, you know, you having dinner, no one wants to be talk about like, how do you feel about internalized homophobia? Do you know what I mean? It's like, can we just have dinner? <laughs> so like, I'll use Instagram for that. And with the bar thing, it's like, you go home and I talked to Geordie about it. And I, and I did, and I was crying and he was up with me on, like for a couple of hours. But there's no resolution. But putting it on Instagram and people saying, I get this too. I feel the same. This is what happened. This is how I deal with it. It really helps. But that silencing thing is so, it's so difficult. And I think the solution is talking about it. Like the solution is with most things that women and marginalized genders and marginalized people go through is that you just have to talk about it with people because there's always people who feel the same and there may not be a solution, but it gave me a great idea for a campaign and it gave me a great idea for a little project. And I had big conversations in my DMs about it. And I think you just feel a bit seen when you talk about it and that actually takes away some of the power from the situation which is really helpful but yeah it was so annoying my god it was and it is annoying it's, it's all the time and I think it being you know you talk to different people and they go well I've never blah blah, blah. you're like okay fine but I have and I'm telling you it's happening so and it's happening and I'm in a city and it's probably happening more sure but it doesn't matter it just means a lot of people are doing it to women all the time because this place is a concentrated place and it's absolutely infuriating. Uh, yeah, it's really interesting what you say about Instagram because obviously that would be like the massive positive of having the platform you have and having kind of the voice you have on Instagram. Yeah. I think if I started posting that, everyone would be like, what the fuck's happened to her? Um, yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> no. but um, 
Yeah, because I wouldn't. I'd be like, I get it. I get it, Izzy. Let's talk about it. <laughs> of one follower, it'll be you. Um, but Yay. yeah, because my issue has been the anger thing, and it was because I started working um, at Marie Claire, which is really focused on women's issues and feminism, and I started writing all these posts about um, violence against women and just getting more involved in all of that. So even just writing about the Me Too movement, all of that. Plus then leaving work and yet going to a bar and having an annoying guy hit on you or something like that. You know, like someone just staring at you while you're on the train and you feel really uncomfortable. so compounding. And then I just get so angry. And Grace was like, it sucks because it's just ruining your life. Because they're not even realizing that you're just sitting. It's like when you have flatmates and you're just angry that they haven't cleaned the fucking kitchen. But they don't even know that you're on like a kitchen cleaning strike. And then you just walk around the whole week like (laughs) so angry and infuriated that they haven't cleaned but they don't even know yeah you're like simmering yeah it's it's really hard I think there's maybe like maybe like a thing there's something to be said for like doing something because of it like I used to during the campaign when I'd like film bits for the news and twice I went to film bits for the news like on location you know like I'm standing outside a pub near Westminster like staring wistfully at Westminster like shit you know stuff like that and which wasn't my choice let's be honest um but like little bits like that cutaways and stuff and there'd be like a producer and a camera person and twice there was a female producer and a female camera woman and though twice we got so harassed that we had to move because they wouldn't let us film like these guys were like, oh, what are you doing? Oh, I'm making a video. Are you making what, what's your video, girls? Oh. And then when there was a guy there, there was nothing. Never, no one had ever said a word. And it kept going on. And then once I was doing this news piece for, I can't remember who it was, and I was walking down the street and they were just like, walk away from the camera. Like, okay, cool, did that. And then some car goes past and this guy's like, I, I'm not going to shout what he shouted, but he shouted something disgusting. And we got it on camera. And I, I was literally like, see, that's what, that's what we're trying to start. And you're like, I'm literally campaigning. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it's so annoying. But then I used to go home and I did this thing where it was like every time something happened, I got annoyed. I would just like go and like donate to like a women's fund or I'd go, I'd do something like positive and it'd be like, you made me feel uncomfortable, but you know what you did? You just donated. Sure, it's my money, but let's not talk about that. You just donated 30 pounds to women's aid. How do you feel, asshole? You know what I mean? Mm. It's like, it would make me feel better. That's a great way to look at it. Yeah. yeah good <laughs> <laughs> it was like chrissy teigen um when she said she was donating a hundred thousand dollars to bail people out bail protesters out and then someone said oh yeah and then someone was like you mean criminals and looters and she was like oh better make it two hundred thousand then it's like yes so good that is so good it's like being someone at their own game She's so great. So great. You just got to get creative with how to deal with that anger, I think. That's the main thing. Yeah, because I think it's the helplessness is the big thing. It's like the, the, the feeling like trapped in a box, like you can't do anything. I think that is just the worst yeah, feeling. that's like gnaws away at you, doesn't it? That actually is a really good takeaway. That away. was a really depressing thing to say. That was a super depressing. It like gnaws away at you guys. <laughs> it breaks your spirit down over time. Sick. Have a nice day. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> The only other thing that we wanted to ask about quickly was just because I think this is something that everyone just generically deals with. But you've just talked about like um, working on the idea that productivity shouldn't be the main metric for your happiness. And I can imagine Mm. that after something as massive as what you did, there was maybe like a post 
law come down or something because you would have been yes. so focused on this thing and then it happens and you're like, okay, what the hell am I doing now? Can you talk a bit about like productivity and then also achieving something massive and not putting pressure on yourself to top it or do something amazing five seconds later? Yeah. So I think like my main thing is that, well, firstly, like I hate capitalism. That's my issue. <laughs> and it just we've all internalized the notion that you have to be working and if you're not working, you're not valuable. And it's the reason why we treat old people so badly. It's the reason that everything's happening now with coronavirus and so many people are being treated so badly because they're not seen as valuable because they're not working and it's complete rubbish. Um, and I realize how much I've internalized the idea that my work is my identity. And if I'm productive and working, I'm doing good. And if I'm enjoying my life and taking naps and watching Disney Plus or whatever I'm doing, that I'm, I'm putting no value into the world. But I'm putting value into myself because I'm looking after myself and I'm having a nice time and that's enough. And I put a lot of pressure on myself after the campaign. I think that was internal from me, but I also think that came from other people because every single time I would, before the campaign had even finished, I'd been asked for six months, like, what are you changing next? From the beginning of 2018, it was, what are you changing next? What are you changing next? And so for a year, I was like, what am I changing next? But I hadn't even changed the law yet. So it was like, I put so much pressure on myself. And then, I mean, it was important as well to say that like, it's very easy for me as a freelancer now who's left my job and changed law. And I'm so lucky and privileged to be in a situation where I can just choose what I work on next, which people don't get to do. You know, people are working two hours two um, double shifts to just be able to eat so the idea that you shouldn't be busy all the time is bad for you is a very privileged notion but if you're in this situation and you have the opportunity to choose and you're doing hard work that is emotionally taxing and emotionally draining like a lot of my colleagues are I would call them people who do this similar work to me in a much harder fashion you have to prioritize taking that time to yourself and you have to prioritize not seeing productivity as your only value metric because it's it's not and you will always be told that because you, people always want you to buy things is the reason why when you're knackered and you're burnt out you're like i'll buy a 200 pound face mask instead of just like nap more or like take a day off it's like that'll make me better it's like no it won't but you'll feel like good because it's really posh and you've spent money on it and it's gonna work but it's like no you just need a nap and to take a day off work like that's what you need but you'd rather spend the money that's capitalism and yeah the pressure is really heavy as well if you achieve something like you were saying and i felt that very deeply so i i i rushed into a bunch of projects because i thought that's what people wanted to see from me and then about six months after the law change I just, I follow my gut a lot. I'm very lucky to be very connected to like, I don't want to do this. Why? And I thought about those projects and I was like, well, I don't want to do them. I'm doing them because it's like, if you, if you change the law, then everything you do next looks a bit rubbish. And I'm trying to like, I'm trying to like prove that like, I can also do important things. And I think that's probably an important distinction. And the important thing to say is that like, you can change the law and still feel like, was that a fluke? Cause that's how I feel. I'm like, I know I worked on it for two and a half years. I know I literally was there when they wrote the legislation. I know I ran the entire social media campaign and I sat in every meeting. But was it a fluke? Because how, do you, how, did, I do, how did I do that? It doesn't matter what you do. You're always like a lot of people will feel like that. And that's okay. So I'm now just following projects that like excite me. Then I'm like, oh, I really want to do that. It might not be the biggest thing in the world. It might not be the most exciting thing. It might not be the most impressive. But it's 
important to my work and I'm excited to do it. And I think following that like childlike excitement for work instead of what you think you should be doing, because is it as big is far more healthy. Mm, It's so important. It's just too much pressure. Yeah. I'm trying really hard to do that at the moment where, because I'm home in New Zealand, I've got less and also coronavirus has just fucked everything with work. I've had less on, but instead of just relax, like literally if I have a free afternoon, instead of just relaxing and reading, doing things, and even when I'm relaxing, I'm doing things that are positive. I'm reading my book or I'm watching something or I'm whatever. And I I instead kind of sit around trying to find work for myself. And I'm like, that's just insane. Isn't it? It's crazy how much you realize you're like built like that now. Mm. You're like, oh, no, I can't actually relax and switch off. It's really bonkers and you have to relearn that behavior i guess force yourself thank you so much for your time we really appreciate it of course yeah thank you've you been amazing me. what we're supposed to say is um what this is after work drinks oh, yeah. with <laughs> we've forgotten our entire segment yeah. um and oh. it's called after work drinks <laughs> with because we would love to we're picking we're handpicking people we would actually love to get a drink with in real life if we didn't have to do this over zoom <sighs> So we wanted to know what your favorite bar in London is and your drink of choice. Oh my God, that's such a good question. And it's so simple because I haven't left the house. I'm like, are there bars in London? What's a bar? (laughs) What's a drink? Um, Oh my God. I love, I'm like such an espresso martini girl. Because I'm like, when I drink, I get so excited that I'm drinking and that I'm out. I'm like seven year old and then if you give me express martini I'm like yeah like I'm literally like just stoked to be alive so I'm gonna go with an espresso martini and favorite oh it's really I'm really I don't have like a bar I just love pubs Mm. yeah I I feel like pubs are better and yeah but there's so many amazing bars in London that are like genuinely incredible but I just like would always take like a pub on the corner in Soho, the Nelly Dean, I'll say, which is a pub on the corner in Soho and it's been there forever and they play like Destiny's Child and like Britney from like the 90s and like just most amazing naughties, 90s music and you stand outside and it's sunny and everyone just gets drunk outside. It's so much fun. We're getting so many That's amazing Soho pub recommendations and our offices in Soho, so I'm so excited. Oh, yes. This is all just an elaborate ruse to find out the best bars in Soho. Yeah, just do a big bar crawl. We had uh, the end of the fucking world actress, Jessie Barden, and she was like, you know where this place is? And we were like, no. No. And she was just like, what was was the place? I can't remember. It's in the episode, but they sell, what did she say, like salmon tacos she gave us she gave us like all these recommendations but then at the end she gave of us like a night she was like you go here you have this drink with the oh, salmon and then you go around the corner to here you now. have three tequila shots you won't be drunk then you won't be hung over the next morning and then go here for the dance floor it was like a oh my god itinerary. but when she was telling us she was like you know where this place is in soho because it, it's like a donut shop or something and we were both like no and she was like oh my god she just like couldn't comprehend that we know nothing <laughs> we just know absolutely nothing about london so good well, there's so much for you to discover then. When you get back, you can just like go out and have the best time. I know. Okay. The best. Well, thank you so okay. much thank again. Thank you so much. Of course. Thanks for having me. It's been really nice and fun. What a lovely way to start the day. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.